Be thou my Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church oh, in Chicago. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you two weeks in a row. We're able to do it this week. And so it's great to be with you and hope that you are doing well wherever you are. So we are ending our sermon series here at Urban Village Church and uh, we're continuing to explore what it means to integrate our faith with what we do for a living. And today's passage uh, will be an interesting look at that uh, and explain more in a bit. But first, let me read the text that we'll be using. This comes from 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 45 through 58. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May God's blessing be on the reading and hearing and living out of this word. Many of you know that I'm a fan of podcasts, and lately I've been listening to one that is based on TED Talks. It's called the TED Radio Radio Hour, and I was listening to one recently that focused on, or its theme was about death. And one of the segments of this podcast was about a woman named J. Rim Lee, who is a visual artist, and also she turns out to be a mushroom lover, uh, and also a proponent for the environment. And she took a look especially at an interesting thing and what happens at our bodies when we die. And I know that may seem like a gruesome thing to reflect on, but she did some research on this. And according to the Center of Disease Control, there are, when one dies, about 219 toxic pollutants in our bodies. So these are preservatives that we take in, pesticides, metals, all these things. So her question was, what happens to these toxins when we die? And in some aspect, whether you are buried or cremated or whatever, they return to the environment. And so she was trying to figure out how can you not only preserve perhaps what you have done in this life, but even when you die, is there a way that your body can do something good for the environment? And so she created uh, what she's calling the Infinity Burial Project. And that is, she is, she's been developing a new strain of fungus, which she's calling the infinity mushroom. And this is a new hybrid mushroom that would not only decompose bodies, but also clean the toxins that are in those bodies, and then deliver nutrients to plant roots, leaving clean compost. 
And she has this suit, this burial suit that's infused with mushroom spores. I'll put a link on my podcast page so that you can watch her TED Talk. It's only about seven minutes long or so. And it's pretty fascinating. A little gruesome and a little dark, perhaps, to think about your death in this way. But she wants to have an impact even after she dies. And according, this will be ready to go in just a few months. And there are quite a few people who are signed up who want to do the same thing. So as I noticed, or as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are in this last sermon in this series that we're calling Flourish, Finding Joy at Work. We've talked about the certainly the impact that we want to have in our own lives and on our jobs that we do. Last week, we talked about can we have an impact beyond ourselves so that we are working for the common good. Today, I want to talk about is it possible even to have an impact after we die? And so that's the reflection that we're taking when we look at this passage from 1 Corinthians and also as we think about a a funny theological word called eschatology. Eschatology, the technical definition is the study of last things or the end of the world. Usually when you talk about this, there are dimensions that include the second coming of Christ, last judgment. So some of these things you may be, even if you're not uh, somebody who would call yourself a particularly strong Christian or someone who doesn't go to church every week, you have maybe in movies or reading books some notion that people sometimes talk about what it means for the second coming. Maybe you've read through the book of Revelation near the very end of the New Testament. But regardless, this actually plays into what I want to talk about and having an impact even after we die. But before we get into that, we also have to look at this passage that we are reading from 1 Corinthians. Now, again, this is a reminder. when In 1 Corinthians, in the latter part of the Bible, this section of the Bible called the New Testament, if you keep on flipping all the way back to the end or near the end, there are lots of these books called um, things like Colossians or Corinthians or Galatians or Philippians. Many of these are actually letters that were written by this man named Paul. Paul was a man who had an amazing experience of the resurrected Christ and then devoted his life to sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ, all around this part of the world. And what he would do is he would write letters to these starting startup communities of faith as they were trying to figure out how do we live in the way of Jesus. So here he's writing to this community of faith, this first church, this early church in the city of Corinth. And he's talking about what happens after we die. And he's also talking about eschatology. He's talking about what he believes will happen when Christ comes again, a fervent belief that he had, not only Paul, but other Jews as well. In fact, traditional Jewish belief was that there would be a day when there would be a resurrection of the dead, and that would happen when the Messiah came. But this meant that all of God's people, or perhaps the entire race, would be resurrected. That was traditional Jewish belief. Now, some scholars, as they look at this letter and other parts of Corinthians, believe that the people at Corinth, this church in Corinth, have actually misinterpreted what Paul was trying to explain to them about really what would happen. Because Paul was talking about a new kind of resurrection or a new kind of way of thinking about the resurrection. People at Corinth were believing that, yes, Christ was resurrected, but only Jesus would be the one who would experience that. And that because of that, then those who believed in him would be experiencing uh, what some scholars called, or what scholars call what Paul said, charismata, or a conferring of gifts. And so people would have um, 
powers beyond themselves, not necessarily like superhero powers or anything, but something just different and special about them. And then that would be it, that Christ came once and then that was all, and that they are receiving the gifts because of that. Paul was trying to get them to think differently. So not only was Paul talking a different way as what traditional Jewish belief was, and not only was he speaking against the people at Corinth and what they believed, but he was talking, in a sense, about a preview. So Paul believed that the resurrection of Christ was a preview or harbinger of what was to come. Earlier in chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, there's a verse that says, "But in Christ, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. So Paul says the coming of the Messiah has happened, but it would also happen again in the future, in the fullness of God's glory, and would create a new heaven and a new earth. The two would be joined, and all of those faithful who had died would be resurrected and would be given new bodies. I realize a lot of this is probably hard to take in because we don't talk about it a whole lot in the church. Whenever we talk about a second coming, often it's kind of a spectacular way of seeing things. My wife and I went to see a movie two or three weeks ago, and as we are as we were waiting for the movie to begin, the previews came in, as they always do when you go to the movies, and we were watching the previews for this one thing, and it looked like it was some kind of uh, Victorian era movie set in, say, 19th century England. The dress, people, what they were wearing seemed to be of that time, something you would watch, uh, perhaps a Downton Abbey type movie. And then all of a sudden, there was all this gore. People were stabbing one another, and it looked like there were monsters that were appearing on the screen. And I'm looking at this thinking, what in the world is this? And so it's going through all of these things. And then at the very end of the preview, it flashed the title of this movie that was coming out. And you may have seen it because it comes out this weekend, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So Pride and Prejudice, of course, Jane Austen and Zombies. And you don't always put those two things together, but actually apparently this was a book, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, putting together Jane Austen with the best of horror, uh, of the horror genre, and it's meshing, mixing all of these things together. And as I watched this preview, I said to myself, this is either going to be so bad that it's good, or this is just going to be so bizarre and out there that no one is going to get it. And... As I watched this too, I noticed that a couple of people around me were nudging each other as if to say, I cannot wait to see this movie. And I was looking at this thinking, really? This seems like this most bizarre thing that you could ever put into a movie. And yet others were saying, that looks awesome. So I wonder, when Paul is talking about a preview of sorts, Paul is saying Christ came or is resurrected once. And because of that, we have a new life here and now. That is the beginning of the fullness of coming of God. But there will be a second time when this will happen and that all of our bodies, that we will be changed and that our bodies will be resurrected as well. And we will share in that same new life that Christ had when he was resurrected. And I realize when we talk about that, at times it sounds like you're watching the preview for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It might seem like surreal and perhaps too, I mean, this is, kind of orthodox Christian belief, and yet when you really think about it, you kind of scratch your head and you think, this sounds just too bizarre to even go down that path. And if that's true for you, I totally get it. But it's, as I noted, it's part of kind of the orthodox Christian belief, and it's something that I believe in too, as hard and far-fetched as it seems. 
And yet, I believe that there will be one day when Christ will come again and that heaven and earth will come together. And when that happens, and now this is where we're getting to the theme of this sermon series, and what we do with our work now will matter. And for that, I have to jump back a little bit into 1 Corinthians 3. So Paul, let me first say in verse 58 in this text today, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. Paul is saying the work that you do now matters. And why is that? Paul explains this earlier in 1 Corinthians. And this is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. And then later on, Paul says this, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, The work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it. And by day, it's a capital D, he's talking about the second coming, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. What Paul is saying here is that the work that we do now will be used by God when heaven and earth come together at last. When that is, no one knows. There have been guesstimates, of course. People will say, well, it's going to happen at this particular date. I have absolutely no idea. But I believe that it will happen one day. And what Paul is saying, that the work that I do here and now, that that will be used by God. It is not an experience where God will essentially, as some ways of thinking about the second coming are, that the world will totally be obliterated and that God will just start all over again. Instead, Paul is saying that God will use what we have already done in order for this fullness of heaven and earth to be one. And I know, again, this may seem a little surreal. It might seem far-fetched. But the more I think about it, the more amazing and really inspiring this is. That something that I will do here and now will be used by God in the future as well. Now, if that's too big of a leap for you, then I want you to also think about when you, what you do for a living and what you do for a job can also have an impact on somebody or something in the future. Maybe you don't want to go all the way into the future, but even in the future, something that you do in your work not only can have an impact on all the people that you work with now, But the things that you do now at work and with your coworkers may have an impact on them in the future. It's not just about you. It's not just about tomorrow when you go to work. It's not just about that. But it's something beyond yourself into the future as well. When I was thinking about that, I thought about my dad. My dad is a second career pastor. He just retired last summer. And before that, he was a teacher and coach and school administrator. And over Christmas, he was sharing this story with me that really meant a lot to him. In the mail one day, a couple, a year or two ago, he got a letter, or rather an email, I should say. He got an email that a former student of his sent him. Actually, it was more than a student, but my dad was, among other things, he coached track and cross country and wrestling. And it was a former wrestler that he had pretty early in his career. And the email that this guy sent to him was just so amazing because the guy, his name was Dave, he thanked dad for being his coach. 
And he reminisced about all the hard practices that he would have. And he still today talks about it with his family. And this is 40 years ago that all of this happened. And his dad talked about that, getting this email from this student that he had 40 years ago. Dad said he was just overcome with that, with emotion and the impact of this, because dad was going through a particularly tough time at the church where he was pastoring at the time. And what was also interesting is that Dave, the wrestler, won literally only one match his entire year. That's right. He just won one match the whole year. Now, you would think that if somebody went one, won one match and lost, say, 20 or 25, they wouldn't necessarily be writing notes to their coaches saying, what you did for me had a huge impact. And yet, that's exactly what he was saying. And Dad said it was so moving to him. And my dad was reminiscing as I emailed him about it this week. And in his email, my dad said it was like a gift because I remember telling myself, if I meant this much to this person whom I'd completely forgotten and never dreamt I meant anything to, gave me quite a boost of self-confidence and willed me to be myself and keep moving forward. And then later he said, I believe to this day it was a message from the Holy Spirit. The timing was right on target. So dad never in a million years when he was coaching and in his mid-twenties or so and coaching these wrestlers, never then as he was going through all the motions of doing that, did he think, I'm having an impact today on these 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Maybe he thought that, but he's also just thinking of the here and now and how can I get these guys to, to win matches and to, to win as a team. He really wasn't thinking about the impact that I'm having so many years later. And yet that's exactly what happened. So many years later, dad realized I had an impact when I was coaching then. And so often we get focused on what can I do today to have an impact? And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's excellent that we do that. If we get carried away thinking too much about the future or the past, we can lose that in what's in front of us. But I think it's also important. I think it has an even, more, an even greater impact on what we can do in the here and now in order for us to think, I may also be doing something that's going to have an impact decades from now. So whether you believe in the second coming of Christ and believe that one day that the things that I do now will make a difference or whether you're not sure where you are on that, and yet thinking about what I do now will still have an impact on a coworker, on somebody that I supervise, or somebody that I work with, whatever it is, that something that you do to them or with them may have an impact on them so many years in the future. The theologian and writer N.T. Wright explains this whole process by writing this, Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness... Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrected, resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Wright is making clear here what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago. 
that what we do now will have an impact and that God will use when the new creation comes. And not only that, I truly believe what you do now not only will be revealed and will be used by God in the future, but what you do now, all of those examples that I just gave, what you do will have an impact on the people that you work with both today and tomorrow and so many years in the future as well. And so we work in partnership with God to have that kind of impact beyond ourselves into the future which will all be honored by God. Amen. Well, friends, I hope that you have enjoyed hearing some different ways of how we can have impact on our work. We spend many hours on it, uh, or in it, and so I hope that you are reflecting on some of these things, regardless of you are have a 9-to-5 job or whether you are a stay-at-home parent or whether you are a student or whether you're looking for work, all of those things matter deeply. So I hope you take time to reflect about that. So we'll be starting a new sermon series next week about prayer as we'll be getting into the season of Lent. Uh, Ash Wednesday is the 10th of February, and so we'll be looking forward to sharing some things about prayer and vulnerability starting next week. You can always reach out to me, Chris, at urbanvillagechurch.org. On Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to connect and interact with folks that way. But until then, I hope that the peace of Christ is yours this week.